Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Courtside with Neil and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Tonight, we have such an awesome guest. He's a former ATP Tour player, played at the University of Miami, and now has been spending time teaching a select group of juniors in Broward County, Florida. Please welcome to the pod, Todd Whittem. Todd, thank you uh, for doing this, man. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on your show. I'm uh, excited to speak about some uh, nice topics about tennis. For sure. So we're going to talk a little bit about your junior career and your collegiate career and, of course, your pro career. And then, obviously, the, the meat of our discussion is going to be on what you're doing currently. But before we kind of get into that, uh, I just want to ask you, as I do a lot of my other guests, you know, how did you get started in the sport? Did your parents play? Did you have siblings? How did it all begin for you? Sure. So I have, I have a brother that's four years older than me that was uh, constantly beating up on me. I guess that's kind of part of the course But uh, as a youngster. But uh, but really, my, my father was a really good golfer, a uh, scratch player. So I currently, I, I try to play as much golf as I can uh, as well. But uh, And my mom was in, into tennis. So I grew up uh, at a club here in South Florida called the Country Club Coral Springs. And so I was thrown into golf and tennis um, at about six years old as well as I was playing uh, baseball and soccer. Got it. So, I mean, you had an amazing junior career. You were ranked as high as number five in the U.S. in the boys' 16s and as high as number one in the boys' 18s. Obviously, you did not do that without the help of some, you know, really, really good coaches. I'm curious, you know, where did you train and, and who were some of the coaches that really influenced you during your junior career? Sure. So this is going to sound a little bit different to to the viewers, but I was trained by two very disciplinarian Argentine coaches, uh, very well known in South Florida. Uh, A gentleman, uh, uh, Pierre Arnold, who currently helps me in my system now every day, and George Paris. Um, They were producing a lot of the champions, both amateur and professional, when I walked through their door in 1989 at six years old. So I was already thrown into that type of arena very serious. It was it was more of a military type training environment. You were taught a lot of discipline, a lot of respect towards not only your peers but also the, your coaches. And those two gentlemen, they guided me my whole way through from when I was six years old to when I retired from the ATP tour at twenty six years old. Wow! And this was near where you lived at the time. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in Coral Springs, Florida. Uh, my parents uh, originally from New York. My brother was born in New York, um, but I was the only one in my family born here in Florida. So my father, uh, my father was a foot and ankle surgeon here in South Florida, and so um, they bought their first house here in 1983 in Coral Springs. And uh, and when I started uh, training with uh, George Paris and Pierre Arnold, that was in uh, Sunrise, Florida, which is basically the western side of Fort Lauderdale. Nice. You're lucky you didn't have to travel uh, great, great lengths for for your. Uh, all of your junior training, obviously. So, that's right. There was a, there was a kid older than you who played at that club, and that was Jay Berger. And the listeners know Jay is obviously very accomplished professional. He was also um, very involved, very high up in the USTA as far as coaching. Um, he also was the coach at University of Miami. And with your junior career, again, as high as five in the U.S. and the boys' 16s, as high as one in the boys' 18s, you obviously had a lot of looks from schools. Knowing Jay, was that something kind of a, a, a foregone conclusion? You could stay in state, you know the coach, you have somewhat of a relationship there? Or were there other schools that you were seriously looking at? Um, and kind of talk about that process. Sure. So when I was 
about six or seven years old, I used to watch George training training Jay. And Jay at that time was about top ten in the world. He, he got to his highest seven. So I was idolizing Jay. He was the top guy. There were, there were other professionals coming in and out that were elite players, top 20, top 50, top 100 players in the world. Um, but Jay, Jay was the superstar of, uh, of the academy. And so um, he was already hitting as a favor to George. And so he was hitting my lessons when I was about six or seven years old. And so that was just tremendous for me. It was, it was an incredible time. Um, we were brought up basically that you have to give back. The coaches, they loved you. They spent so much time with you. And whatever they said, you did. So if they wanted you to play with a, a lower-level player or maybe an adult or, or whoever they wanted you to hit with, you did it, and, 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 you, and you gave back. So, so Jay, was, Jay was hitting in my lessons when he was in town when I was already a youngster at about six or seven years old. So, you know, at, at that time, um, George and Pierre, they, 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 had, they had a feeling that I was going to really, you know, hopefully be an accomplished player, and, and I was serious about it, and I loved it. And he couldn't drag me off the court, so uh, they, they they could kind of tell that uh, that tennis was maybe in my in my future and hopefully doing some good things. So how cool is that for the youngsters, not just you but your fellow peers, to see someone that good, um, not only playing at a, such a high level but then coming back and hitting with you? I mean, that's just that's like what we say to all coaches: take your kids to matches, whether it's college matches or professional matches. It's just so inspiring, and it gives them something to be like, wow, you know that can motivate them to even work harder and say, hey, I want to be in that type of arena growing up. And I, I, I mean, again, just to have someone like that, and it's not just on TV. I mean, you're personally hitting with him. He's on the other side of the court. Uh, I think that's so, so important for youngsters to have that. You were very fortunate to, to have Jay. Yeah, I, I, was, I was incredibly fortunate. Um, you know, it, it, was just, it was just such a great time. Um, to be in South Florida and, and training and, and having these really elite coaches spend these hours every single day with your child. For sure. Um, they, they, ran, they ran probably the best academy that I've ever seen from how they organized it to the time that they spent with the children um, to how much they cared for, for the kids. So it was really... It was really incredible, and, and it was exciting. And, and to, to really tell you, I have a almost six-year-old, and, and he comes, and he's playing a lot of sports, but he comes, and he just watches my kids train. And it's kind of similar. Maybe it's a genetic thing, but it's he comes and watches my kids train five or six hours a day and, and, and just wants to watch and, and doesn't say boo. And, and I keep asking him whether he wants to go home or not, and he just wants to watch and learn and I was kind of the same way. So when I was watching Jay train, I would just sit there and just watch the intensity and where he was hitting the ball and how he was hitting the ball and try to study it. And uh, it was just so fascinating and just incredible to be that close and, and, and see that. That's so cool. And then to see your son sit and kind of do the same thing. That's so cool. So you really didn't tell, you really didn't answer the question that I asked, which was, was University of Miami because of Jay kind of a foregone conclusion? I mean, were you were you seriously looking at other schools, or you kind of knew because you had that relationship with Jay, Miami was the place? Yes, that, that is correct. So <clears throat> I, I was able to attain the number one ranking in the, in the country in the eighteen and unders, um, and I had a great year um, my senior year of high school. And so, I, obviously, I, at that time. 
there wasn't really a lot of emailing going on. So I was getting letters and, you know, uh, every day in the mail from amazing schools, um, you know, schools that, that would be incredible and schools that, that my current students attend and would love to attend. Um, so, but really for me, it was, it was to be a professional player and, and Pierre and George, unfortunately, and I didn't say this before in the show, but George passed away when I was 15 years old from a brain tumor mm. and George and Pierre were, were best friends. So like I said, they guided me throughout my whole career. So at that, when I was 18 years old, it was the, really the best option was to stay really close, as close as I could to Pierre and really manage it and, and really for him to manage my career and, and have a, and obviously we had a great relationship with Jay and it was to turn pro when I was ready coming out of college. And so University of Miami was about 50 miles from Coral Springs. And so, um, so it was great. It was, it was great to have these guys, you know, helping me and guiding me through, uh, through my amateur career to, uh, to try to get onto the ATP tour when I was ready. Yeah, you're lucky. You, I mean, it seemed like a, f- a perfect fit, and, and it really was. I mean, you went there for two years, your freshman and sophomore year. Um, you earned All-American status both those years. You reached the semis of the NCAA tournament in 2003. Um, it was at that point that, that you were ready to go on tour. And before we kind of uh, hit that stage in your career, um, talk a little bit about those two years at Miami. Miami were, were great, um, but to tell you, to, to really tell you, my my dream from when I was six or seven years old, training with George and Pierre, and, and obviously and hitting with Jay, and, and coming through that type of arena, it was to be a professional player. And so, do do more to finances. I didn't turn pro at eighteen years old, and so maybe if I would have won Kalamazoo um, in the eighteen and unders, maybe I would have turned pro. Uh, right after the U.S. Open, but I ended up losing uh, to a great player, a guy that really had my number throughout our whole career. This this, this gentleman, Alex Bogomolov, and so um, so that was tough. But uh, but anyway, so I, so my my whole goal, like I said, was was to become a professional. So at the University of Miami, it was it was a tremendous time. Um, the football team was was number one in the country. Unfortunately, they're not winning too much anymore. They have them <laughs> suffering in the stands all the time. Yeah. But, uh, but um, you know, I mean, some of my closest relationships still are with some of my teammates. Um, I take I've taken one of basically my top student to Jay Berger to train with Riley Opelka in West Palm Beach. So I still have a really good relationship with Jay. Um, being able to be coached and trained by, by really my idol growing up was, was, uh, was a tremendous time for me. Um, you know, it was when, when I entered the college arena, I was pretty elite already. I was a top player in the country after my first semester. Wow. So for me, it was, you know, when, when, when am I going to turn pro? I really want to, I want to have this great college experience, but ultimately I want to get on the ATV tour. I've been dreaming of this my whole life. I've, I've trained hard enough, I've had the results, and so I really want to become a professional player. And so after my sophomore year, there wasn't really much to accomplish anymore um, in college tennis. But also, I had a lot of things in place, which, which I think is very important. So as I said, Pierre managed my career. So my scholarship at the University of Miami would be honored if I left school and, uh, and I wanted to come back and finish whenever I would like. So that was honored. And then I also had my college paid for, uh, for any state school in the University of Florida awesome. um, from, from my parents. So for me to turn pro, it wasn't a huge risk. 
Um, and, and I had the results. The results on paper said, you know, this, this, this guy is ready. Right. And so, you know, it's very important for, for the parents that are listening uh, to, the, to the show is that you don't skip steps. So say if your child wins, uh, say, a level five, then you check to see if they can win a level four and you go step by step by step. And then, as I always say, the results never lie and you keep boosting it up and going to the next level and, and hopefully your child can can achieve what they would love to achieve uh, with their tests. And, I mean, I had Michael Russell on uh, around 12 months ago, and we talked about the same thing. He went to the University of Miami for one year, and especially in today's game where people are playing longer and it's so physical. I mean, even if you think you're ready to roll right after high school, 18, what's the harm of going to college if you if you go very far in the NCAAs or uh, you win it? You're like typically 19 years old. It's not like you wasted a whole year of, uh, you know, it's not like it's going to hurt you on the pro tour. I mean, especially in today's game. And I I echo those thoughts. And and again, it's not just college to pros. It's any level, right? Level five, level four, level three, level two. Just keep doing it. And that will show you if you're ready or not. Because if you're not getting the results as you step up those levels, then obviously you're not ready to go. So great, great advice. Um, You... You know, you, you talked about your great experience in Miami. You always knew you wanted to go pro. Um, you, you played on the pro tour for six years. And for someone who was really fortunate that didn't have um, a lot of injuries growing up, unfortunately, the injury bug got you on pro tour and including something serious um, with your eye. And you can talk about that if you wish. And, you know, I, I have a personal memory of, of you. I remember watching you play at a, uh, a challenger near my hometown, the Winneka Challenger in Illinois. And you actually beat uh, another guest that I've had on this podcast is Paul Goldstein. And both, again, I refer to Michael Russell and Paul Goldstein, both great, great guys. And I, I, I urge the listeners to, to go and, and listen to those interviews because it's awesome. But I remember that match, and you played really, really well. So, um, again, just unfortunate that the injury bug um, hit you, that's some things that you just can't control, which is unfortunate. But if you don't mind, can you talk a little bit about your pro career, both the good, the bad, and, and not so, not even so much the bad part being the injuries, obviously it is, but just the bad stuff of being on tour by yourself, for instance. Sure. So, like, like I said, I mean, you know, my, my, my pro career had, had a lot of ups and downs, and the, and the highs were, were really high, and the lows were, were pretty low. Um, it was tough. You know, come, coming from having you know, what, what I think was a really good junior career and then having a, a great college career for, the, for those two years and then jumping onto the ATP Tour. Um, I had a lot of success early on, um, on on the tour. So right when I started playing after NCAAs of 2003, I started to have a lot of success pretty pretty early on, which, which showed me that, you know, that, that this was the right, the right decision. And so I started winning futures right away. I started competing really well with guys top 100 in the world, beating some guys top 100 in the world, going pretty far in challengers. And, and so it was very exciting. It was great. Um, but I did get hit with the injury club, which was tough. And so I, I, tore, I tore my rotator cuff. I tore my hip twice. I, I tore my, my meniscus in my knee. And then I had a dislocated fibula and my right knee and 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 so those were tough injuries um and and it seemed like every time that i was playing really well and i was beating guys top 100 in the world and maybe winning atp tour matches and everything 
I, I, end, I ended up having what would probably be considered severe injuries. You know, it wasn't, I would take a week off and I'd feel better. I was out months at a time. Usually it was about three months. Um, and so by the time I started training again, and then, uh, and then going back out on the tour, um, and then maybe suffering some losses because I was a little rusty getting back out there, it, it was tough. So now you're, you're, now you're talking four to five months out, right. and you're basically playing half the events that, that, that your competitors are playing. Um, so, so it was hard. And then, and then, um, at, uh, basically the summer circuit of 2006, I was playing really well again. And, um, and so I came and basically my eye was really red and, and to make a long story short, um, after the U S open, I had my eye, uh, examined and, and it showed that I had a little cancer in my left eye. So, so that was, that was hard. And, uh, by the, at the end of the season, I needed to go in for surgery and so have that removed and then um you know and then and then I, and then I made another comeback so uh but anyways you you did see one of my best one of my better <laughs> wins on tour and one of my best matches beating Paul Colstein at, at your hometown tournament yeah um and, and that was exciting and I really hope that I can send some players uh to Paul at Stanford and I, and I have some kids where their goals are to be playing at Stanford so I've already spoken to Paul saying all right I got some kids for you in the upcoming years so uh I have a great relationship with Paul, and, uh, and, I, and Mike Russell was, was my best friend on tour. So we roomed together when we could almost every week to, to save, on, save on money and expenses. And so, uh, so I actually just contacted Mike the other day, and so we're going to get together at the Delray Beach ATP. Uh, comes into comes into South Florida pretty soon, in about a week or two. And, uh, and so, you know, it was, it was a great time. Um, I was able to beat some really good players. Um, but the injuries were tough, and so that was that was the that was the really that was the downfall, and that was the tough part about uh, about being on the ATP tour for me. Yeah. Um, no, thank you for talking about that. I know it's not easy to talk about because obviously you had um, aspirations that uh, did not have all these injuries uh, included in your career. But I appreciate you taking time and, and describing your experience. Now we're going to get into um, the bulk of why we're doing this podcast, and that's what you're doing now and your coaching methods. But before we jump into that, I want to kind of ask you, like, how did you transition into coaching? Obviously, you knew um, your, your professional career on tour was coming to an end. Um, right now, you, it's clear that you don't call yourself a tennis academy. Again, we'll get into that in a second. But did you just have certain ideas right away on how you wanted to implement? Or was this just, you know what, there's a few kids in the area. You know, I think I like coaching. I think I could help them. Um, let me just start there. Or did you kind of have a formal plan together and say, this is what I want to do. And we're going to start by doing A, B, C, and D. And it's just going from there. Sure. So when I got off the tour after the Australian open of 2010, um, I wanted to finish my college degree. So, so I did that. I actually got a body work degree as well. So I can work on the athletes and I'm nationally certified. and I can do that. I choose not to. I send them off to a really good friend of mine where they get, treatments and everything if they're a little sore, banged up, and they get right back on the court and healthy and all that good stuff. Um, so I started working at an academy locally here in South Florida um, while I was finishing my college degree and, and, and also getting a five-year degree and, and that type of stuff. Um, I worked there for about six months, and it really wasn't for me, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, and so I started coaching privately which is pretty risky. Uh, I, started, I started coaching privately one boy who was a senior in high school. 
and it was to really fix him up and then send him off uh, to college. And so I thought I would give that a try. And, and I've had tremendous mentors my whole life, and so I was speaking with them, and they were guiding me, and I had a chance to take a, to, to take a chance and take a risk on trying to start something that was very different than really the cookie-cutter type tennis academy mold in the United States and even throughout the world. And, um, and so for me, like I said, with, with George and Pierre, they really took you under their wing. They spent a lot of time with you. They made sure that, that things were in place for you. They cared for you. They communicated with your parents. It was really a full service, not just groups and lessons. And so like, so like I said, these gentlemen were tremendous. They had a huge heart. They had so much passion. They were really grinding it out every single day with, with the kids that, that were in their academy and in their system. And so I wanted to try to do something like that, but not on a large scale. And so if, if people follow me on social media, maybe Facebook or Instagram or maybe other podcasts as well, I always put hashtag not a tennis academy, not a tennis academy. So, so what does that really mean? So I consider a tennis academy more of a public schooling where you have lots of different coaches and mentalities and maybe mentalities of kids, maybe serious, non-serious, a whole broad range of, of, of kids and coaches. And, uh, and it can be a very unstable environment at times. So I really didn't want to do that. And like I said, I've had tremendous mentors that have been coaching way longer than me. And they've been guiding me through through this process on how to do this right and have a great, great business model and, and be able to sustain it. So I tried to start what I would consider an elite private schooling for tennis players. And I've been doing it for about a decade. And, and so what, what I do in my system is any parents that contact me, the kids go through a mandatory assessment. And, uh, and so I assess everything and it's, in a, it's, and it's, in, it's, it's private. So I take a look, or even my partner, Pierre, um, we, we may take a look together, one of us, uh, at everything. Could be the movements, the techniques, the, the mentality, the work ethic, how they place the ball, maybe how they can construct a point. We take a look at the whole, at the whole, whole range of shots and, and everything. And so based on that assessment, then we really can figure out whether it's a great fit, not only for the parents and, and, and the child, but also for us in, in, in my system. And so it's basically what I run is an elite private school for serious tennis players. And so the parents are contacting me, coming in saying, I want my child to to basically go to the elite colleges or, or maybe professional tennis, but the elite colleges in the country. And, and, and so they know the track record. It could be Ivy Leagues. It could be the Dukes and the Stanfords of the country, those types of schools. And so basically it's a full management of that child's tennis career. And so I'm, I'm really not into the one-hour lesson where you take the one-hour lesson and you get thrown off to a bunch of other coaches or groups and really the only quality you may get is that one-hour lesson. That, that's, not, that's not something that, that we do. And so the kids that are in my system, it's a full management of their career. And so that could be anything, obviously, from their tennis training to their physical training to the mental aspect, the nutritional aspect, the the tournament scheduling, um, when the child is ready for college placement, I start contacting the college coaches as well as the child 
to make sure that, that they're put in a, in a great spot for, for their four years of, of college tennis as well. So the parents definitely appreciate it, I feel, um, that we really take over. And obviously we're communicating with the parents and they understand exactly what we're doing with, with their child. But for us, it's the best way to be doing this and, 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 and as well as what we believe is the right way to do this. And, um, and we're spending a lot of hours with, with these select kids in this private system. But the kids have all passed the assessment. They're kids that we'd love to be with every single day. And for us, that gives us the most joy. They're respectful kids. They all get along really well with each other. And, uh, and they love to play tennis, obviously. And they want to take their tennis to a, to a great, great place in college. Very, and, um, yeah, it's very, very yeah, impressive, so, Todd. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's much different than, than, than a tennis academy. That's why I don't consider it a tennis academy. Right. And so for the viewers that are thinking, wow, I can't really relocate to South Florida. So we have a good following of kids that, that pop in and out uh, when they can throughout the year. And so we, we, we have, uh, you know, kids do, you know, do their assessments as, as now spring break time is coming up. So we'll, we'll do an assessment, whether it's a couple days or a week or a month or, you know, coming in and out throughout the year. These are the kids that, that we love to be around. And so those are the ones that, that, that we've led into our little, our, our little private system. Yeah, you. Uh, I. If you don't mind, I have like a couple quick hitter questions about it because we just want to have the um, the listeners be as informative as uh, uh, you. You try to give them as much information as you can. Um, obviously, I've followed you for a while. It's very, very impressive in what you're doing. Just again to give a little bit um, more detailed information. The kids are not just coming from Florida. They're coming from you know where wherever. Who's ever interested in training with you guys? Um, roughly. Roughly, yeah. how many kids are you coaching at, at one time? Again, it ebbs and flows, I get it, but just approximately. Yeah, so right now, currently, um, our ninth student is coming from Korea. Uh, he's a top player um, from Korea, a top 13-year-old. Um, so he's number nine. That's in a couple weeks. Right now we have eight. And in my system, it's myself, it's, it's, it's Pierre, who was obviously my childhood coach from when I was six years old. And then I brought in another gentleman, um, and his name is Daniel Yu. And he trained under Pierre for many years, and we trained together on the tour. So I've always kept it in my family. So uh, so Daniel has now been working for me for a couple weeks. And then I hire private hitting partners as well. So there's eight kids currently. There's three of us, and then I have a private hitting partner as well. Wow. So um, we could we could take on... Maybe a couple more kids, maybe thirteen or fourteen is our max number, and uh, and that's it. And, okay. and then the doors are closed, and kids have to train on the outside of those kids. Okay, so that's that was kind of my next question. Obviously, with the success that that you're having, um, when word gets out, it's just normal that more and more kids will want to train with you and. The way you're going about it, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to swing to the pendulum of having 25, 50 kids with you because that, you know, you, you lose kind of the, the purpose of what you're all about then. And that maybe swing more towards the tennis academy. So you're, you're really set on limiting a, a number. And, you know, even if a kid is a great, great kid or whatever, if you're at your max number, you're not willing to kind of expand, at least for now. We're not looking to expand. Um, we can work more hours. Uh, right now, my full timers are training about five hours a day. But uh, but when it's full, it's full. Right. And 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 that's it. Because like like you said, my 
my normal client is, is, is someone that has moved here from outside of Florida. It's not usually a uh, Florida-based kid. Okay. So they're coming in, and they're, and they're coming usually from one of these big arenas. And, and I've given, given them my word that I'm not going to blow this open to the masses. Okay. How does the schooling work? Sure. So most of the kids that I train are online. Um, I do have a couple that are that are um, that go to little private schools here in South Florida, but most are online. I let the parents handle that because with the tennis and the scheduling and and, and all those different aspects, our plate is pretty full. Um, but uh, so the parents uh, they they handle more the academic aspect of that. And typically, I know you're flexible with this because we talked in prep for it, but. Typically, are kids with you for, for a year? Like, they'll move to Florida for a year? Are they six months? Are they um, prepping with you for a weekend? I know we talked a little bit about that. I, for what your purpose is, it, it kind of seems to me it needs to be a little bit more longer term than short term. But you do have flexibility with, which, with the amount of time kids are with you. Sure. So, yeah, we, we, have, we have kids, like I said, that pop in maybe for long weekends that we love to train. Uh, I have kids that that want to come in and, and, ha- and get assessed by, by Pierre, myself, or even both of us, um, just to see where they're at, maybe a, maybe a, a second opinion. Um, like, like, I consider it, if you were going to go to a doctor and they recommended surgery, I would hope that you would, have, that you would go for a second opinion. Um, that's, that's basically what we're doing. We're, we're doing tennis surgery on the kids every single day. And so, uh, you know, a second opinion is never a bad thing as well. But... Um, but in terms of, of our kids, I mean, we, we hope for them to stay as long as they can. Maybe it's, it could be a year. It could be multiple years. Many kids um, that, that we have, have have been here already many years, um, you know, maybe three to five years, something like that. Um, but we have other kids that would parents call me and, and say, listen, you know, uh, we're, the, the clock is ticking and, and my child wants to be playing at this type of school. And, you know, how do we go about doing that? And. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really know, you know how to do this, and, and, and so we come up with a whole plan, and we know that the time could be limited. So, uh, so we got to make sure that it's more crash, crash course in, in training that type of player to then send them off uh, to a certain type of school that, that they would love to attend and contribute uh, to that tennis team. So, uh, so everyone's case is different, um, but we do have our core of, uh, of full-timers that we're spending, uh, obviously, our five hours a day with. And then we have, uh, you know, then, then we have, uh, you know, the families and the kids that kind of pop in and out of our system, which is great. I mean, not, not everyone can, can relocate to, to South Florida. You know, everyone's case is, is different in the family dynamics. So we, we definitely understand that. Yeah. And, and for the kids that are there with you longer, I mean, the housing, they deal with that on, on their own, whether it's one of the parents coming or maybe there's an older sibling that's, that could look over them a little. That's up to the family and coordinating all that, right? We do offer a little bit of housing. My mom, uh, my mom lives about a mile or two from uh, from both uh, tennis facilities that I work out of in Coral Springs. Um, so she helps with that housing. I've, I've housed players in the past. Um, it's not something that I would love to do, but if it, if if the situation is good and, and I really like that kid, then um, then that's a, that's an available option as well. But it's not. It's not like we have a bunch of dorms and apartments and, and you know, 30 or 50 kids that are, uh, you know, being taken care of. That, that's not my business model. Right. Todd, um, this was awesome. Thank you. 
Um, again, I, I've followed you for a long time and I see what you put on social media and I've read what you're doing and, and your methods and it's really, really cool. And thank you. I know I kind of um, dove into the detail with some of these questions just because I wanted to get as much um, information about what you're doing to our listeners. And it's really, really cool and really impressive. Thanks for, for sharing all this. Well, thank you, Dave. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, inviting me to be on your show. It was, uh, it was a great time and I always love to talk about my system, which is what I consider to be quite different than, than the cookie cutter tennis academy mold in, in the United States or even throughout the world. For sure, and you know, Del, you mentioned you mentioned Delray Beach earlier, and we don't this just to timestamp this. This is getting close to Delray. I'm not sure if this is going to be released before Delray or after it, but uh, you know, I love that tournament. You know, I attend that tournament. I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, in 2020 in Delray. Absolutely, we'll go get a bite to eat on, on beautiful Atlantic Avenue. For, For sure. sure, thanks, Todd. I appreciate it. All right, thank you very much, Dave. Talk to you. Appreciate it. Bye. That was Todd Whittem. I hope you guys enjoyed that. He's got a really, really cool program. And and check him out on social media. He's on Facebook. He's on Instagram. Um, Check it out. You'll get a good feel for it. Hopefully the information he provided gives you a better feel um, for what he's doing. So, again, hope you enjoyed listening to that. You know, all these episodes, Courtside with Beelance and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. It's on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. It's on Spotify. It's on Google. Um, Please subscribe. Tell your friends about it. And um, we're continuing to push and push, and we got some great guests coming up, and we've already had some unbelievable guests. So I appreciate you guys supporting us, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks. Bye.